Well, we want, uh, we want you to know today we need to be brave today to walk, to follow Christ in the way we need to follow Him. And uh, our series, our Brave series, is all about the courage it takes and the uh, ability to step up and do something that God calls us to do that puts us out of our comfort zone. And today, the title of the message is Brave Enough to Be Serious. And I have to tell you that today's message is a pretty serious deal. It's a pretty serious deal because so many in Christianity are not serious. And because of that, um, it's very easy to distinguish those that are serious from those that are not. But from the day that Jesus began to teach, he began to see some factors and show us some factors. As How do we know we're serious about God? How do we know we're serious about following him? That's what this is all about today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you take them and turn to Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Whatever translation of the scripture you have, whether it's iPhone or a Bible, uh, on, your, uh, on your iPad, or whether it's a leather-bound version, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And if you've got that to get together today, it's open to Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 1. Would you let me know by saying amen? amen. All right, some of you there. The rest of you get there. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Four verses we'll open with. Brave enough to be serious. I want you to notice the crowd that is gathered around as Jesus begins to teach. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. Now, these are going to be the 12 disciples that you and I know as those who followed most closely. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, most of the time when you have those kind of problems in your past, you don't want people in the future to read about you as the woman that had seven demons. But look at what Luke does. He, he, he holds it all out. They're being real. They're being open. This woman, Mary Magdalene, becomes a prominent person in Scripture because she's been delivered from these seven demons. Then verse 3, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Jesus is about to tell a story alongside another story to help us understand the truth about what it means to follow him. Father, in Jesus' name, my prayer is that we will walk away understanding what it means to be serious versus what it means to be superficial or stubborn or anything else that we could have an attitude towards Christ about. We want to be serious about following him because it changes the world. It changes our lives and the world when we are. We ask that you give us that insight today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated with me if you would for a moment. So there's this great and large crowd following Jesus. Now I've got to tell you, Jesus is living out and mirroring and modeling for us all the things that we say are so important in our church life. I want to put our logo on the screen because I want you to kind of see these words of our logo in light of the Gospel of Luke. All the Gospels have Jesus doing these things in life. These are the action verbs that Jesus was actively participating in. He was relating well to God, the Father, and relating well to man. He was building relationships with people. The 12 disciples that we read about here are 12 that followed him for three years. And he would pull them aside and teach them. He would pray for them. He would come away from them and pray for them. 
He would pour himself into these disciples so that they may be more and more like him. Then Jesus was always engaging those that were far from him. As you read those first few verses with me, you'll see several names. People who were sick, people who were filled with demons. Magdalene, for example. Mary Magdalene, far, far from God. Tormented and in bondage to Satan. And yet Christ set her free and he was interacting with her. And then the word adopting is the idea of what he was doing when he was bringing his disciples from brand new followers to mature followers of him. And adoption is the word that we use for discipleship. Really, it's more than teaching a set of information. It's more than going through a class. Discipleship is really about adopting someone in a relational way that helps them grow spiritually from brand new Christian status to fully mature believer and follower of Christ. And Jesus was doing this with the people that he had brought to faith. And then you have the word lead. He was pouring into these disciples because these 12 disciples were designed to be the leaders of the New Testament church. Judas, of course, fell. Judas is the one that betrayed Christ. But 11 other disciples followed him well and became the apostles of the New Testament church. And the kingdom of God multiplied because Jesus was relating well, engaging those far from him, adopting these brand new people who put faith in him and teaching them how to lead. The R-E-A-L is the life of Jesus. And it's also the life of Christ as embodied in the church. So we have this huge crowd here. And in this crowd, Jesus is going to give the very first parable that most commentators believe was given. Luke is not chronologically laid out, but we find this parable very early on in the teaching of Luke. But this is said by many to be the first parable and the most complicated, complex parable because it says so many things to us. The essence of the truth of what we learn today is that it's all about how spiritual growth happens and how fruit comes. So today, you're going to see what Jesus says about how you can grow spiritually and why you're not growing if you're not. He's going to tell you how you receive the Word and that your relationship to the Word that you hear is everything when it comes to spiritual growth. You'll find answers today as to why you're growing by leaps and bounds spiritually or why you're stagnated or, or why you don't really see much change taking place in your life. All those answers are given to you today in this amazing, amazing parable. I want us to look at this parable together, a part of it at a time, and walk away with an understanding of what kind of a heart we need to have as we leave today towards Christ and towards the Word. First of all, I want you to notice the parable itself. In verse 5, Jesus begins to tell the story. He says this, The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the road, and it was trampled underfoot. Keep in mind that phrase, trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear now. You need to read this and understand this in such a way where Jesus was frequently stopping and saying this phrase to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He was calling it out as he told the parable. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said to them, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not 
understand. A very simple analogy. By the way, the word parable is a word that means to throw something alongside something else. It means for someone to take, in this case Jesus, take a story that everybody would understand and lay next to it the spiritual truth. So the spiritual truth is sometimes hard to understand could be easy to understand if you knew the story he was telling. And in this case, it's an agricultural story. It's about planting seed. Now, that's an agricultural culture that Jesus was in. Everybody would know what it meant to sow seed. Let me ask a question today because we live in a different world today. How many of you were raised on a farm? Would you raise your hand if you were raised on a farm? So there's a lot of you in here that know something about what it means to sow seed. But this was 2,000 years ago. Today and in the past 50 years, there have been all kinds of implements we use in order to sow large amounts of seed. But in that day and time, it was all done by hand. It was a sower. It was a bag of seed. And it was the hand of the sower reaching into the bag of seed and strewing out the seeds all around him as he walked through the fields back and forth, back and forth for seed to go everywhere. So when Jesus tells this story, nearly every member of the audience understood this is what we do. We understand how this works. What he's getting ready to do is to help us understand spiritual truth based on something that's so familiar with us that, that we do it every day almost. We do something like this every day. Now, we don't do it exactly like that today, but we understand something about the seed and the soil. And as we get closer to the heart of this parable, we're going to understand something else about our hearts as well. Now, a key phrase that you're going to want to know as we walk through this parable is this one. The seed is the Word of God. The agricultural methods have changed somewhat, but one thing hasn't changed, and that is when you place seed in the ground, in the soil, and the soil is good, and it's watered, and the sun comes out, it grows. But this seed is not just any seed. This is the seed of the Word of God. I want to remind you, in 2017 A.D., the seed of the Word of God is just as powerful today as it was when first uttered by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know today that the same seed that was sown then by the mouth of Jesus is the same seed that's being sown in your life right now because we have the Word of God. We have the Bible. And I want you to know this is a relevant parable to your life today. Whether you were raised in a place where you knew something about farming or not, whether you've ever planted a seed in your garden or not, the seed of the Word of God makes this so relevant to your life because it helps us understand how we grow and why we are or are not growing. Today, this is important to you. This whole idea helps us understand how spiritual growth happens. There's a group of people in another room today that are joining our church. It's our Next Steps class. And I had a chance to talk to them today. And one of the things I say to them, and one of the things I say to people every week when we host them in guest reception is that this church is made up of people who love God, love Scripture, and love people. Those are profound and yet simple words. We love God, and I hope that's evident to everyone. We come together, we worship Him, we place Him as a priority in our life. But we also love Scripture. And our love for Scripture means that we embrace it, that we teach it, that we focus on it. There are some things that some would say are more exciting to focus on, but nothing is more powerful than the Word of God. We love Scripture. This is something you may not know. 
You may not know that a recent poll was done by Pew Research, P-E-W Research, a church, a, church, a church research group. And it researched people who were searching for a church home. And when asked what was the highest priority in terms of, of item that they were looking for in a new church, this is what they said. We're looking for a church that teaches the Bible. We want a church that still emphasizes the Word of God. It's really amazing when our culture is moving so fast in an opposite direction. It's interesting to find people are still looking for stability and they're still looking for the one thing that can change their life, the Word of God. And that's what we focus on. That's what we major on. We love God, love Scripture. We love people. And all those work together to sow seed in people's lives of the Word of God that allows spiritual growth to take place. I love this parable because it says so much about what we do and it says so much about how the word works. Now there's the parable, but in the parable there's a, there's a problem. And the problem is massive. In fact, the problem is so massive. Jesus takes four different scenarios and examples to describe the problem. Now there are not multiple problems, there's just one problem. But this problem is looked at in four different ways because all of us are part of the problem and it affects us in different ways. I want you to look with me in verse 11 as Jesus explains the parable. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while. And in time of temptation or difficulty, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. So far, these three scenarios, there is no fruit. But verse 15 says, the seed in which the good soil is, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. I want you to notice there are not several problems. There is just one problem. There are almost four parables. But this is a massive parable that has four different categories of soil. But the problem is the soil, which represents the heart, but is made evident by how one hears. Now, I'm going to say that again because this is the key statement today. The problem is the soil into which the seed is planted, but it represents the heart, and the heart is made evident by how one hears. How you hear the Word of God, how you listen to the Word of God reveals your heart and ultimately tells us why that the seed planted in your heart either bears fruit or it does not. In other words, the problem is you. Now that's kind of a problem for us to deal with, isn't it? And I'm going to say the problem is me as well. The problem is us individually. Jesus uses four scenarios. He gives us the example of four people. And he tells us that the seed is always the same. It always has the power to change people's lives. The difference maker is the soil. And it represents the heart. And it's revealed by how we hear. It's really quiet in the room today. And I hope it is because it's very important that we hear. 
and listen well today. Because what Jesus is saying in this first parable to the disciples and many others that are gathered together is this. I'm going to tell you what your future is in regards to the Word of God. So let's look at the problem for just a few moments. By the way, this is kind of a scary message in some way because we will see ourselves in one of these four areas, or we may see ourselves in several of these areas depending on time frame or depending on subject. And I want you to do that today. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these four people that Jesus gives us as examples. And I want you to to evaluate your heart and your listening ability and your willingness to hear something today. But I also want you to notice for just a moment that, that the sower is one of those that has no details attached to him. It's simply the sower goes out to sow. In reality, if these are real seeds that have plants, that will grow from them. And if it's real dirt and real soil, it doesn't matter who plants the seed, whether they're three years old or 30 years old, whether they're an experienced sower or an inexperienced sower. The seed is the difference maker and the heart is the difference maker. And so we have this relatively obscure sower sowing seed in this particular parable. I call him an unidentified sowing object, USO. And the reason I'm calling that is because we live in an age where we feel like we've got to have a certain kind of person communicating the Word of God to us before we'll grow. And I'm telling you, that's a blatant lie. It doesn't matter how great the communicator is, if your heart's not willing, the problem is you. The problem is you. So absent from this parable or any details about the sower, he's anonymous, he doesn't matter. The heart matters. Charles Spurgeon has an amazing testimony. Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers from a previous century. And in his conversion story, he was a young man who wanted to find out about God. He was open to God, but he was living a very sinful life and had not come to give himself to Christ yet. One day he got up to go to church and a snowstorm was blowing outside. And it was blowing so badly that his path to church was diverted down a side street where he was going to go, he couldn't go. So he went somewhere else and he found a primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street in London, England. And he stopped in. An unknown substitute lay preacher stepped into the pulpit and began to preach because the pastor couldn't get to the church. So here's young Spurgeon sitting under the balcony watching this guy get up who had no experience at all. As he read... Isaiah 45, 22, this substitute lay preacher did. And that verse says, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Spurgeon writes in his autobiography, he had not much to say, thank God, he wasn't much of a speaker, but that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing more needed by me at any rate except his text. In other words, he got up and he didn't really know what to say, so he kept saying the verse over and over. Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery. And he said, that young man there looks very miserable. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look, young man, look now. And then I had this vision, not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. What I saw is Savior, what a Savior Christ could be to me. I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what I was to believe, and I did believe in one moment. 
And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon and forgiveness I had found, for I was white as the driven snow in my heart through the grace of God. What a story. It wasn't a story of a preacher preaching, but a seed sown. I want you to know today the problem is not the preacher ever no matter who we're talking about. It's not the form that it's communicated by. The problem is the heart into which it's being received. Now, Jesus gives us four scenarios. I want us to look at these four scenarios together. First of all, there is the solidified heart, the solidified heart, a heart where the soil is so packed by the traffic that goes along the road that there's no penetrating the surface of that soil. Look at what it says in verse 12. These heard, but the devil comes and takes away the word. In fact, if you go all the way back to verse 5, it says some fell alongside the road, and it was trampled underfoot by men, and the birds of the air ate it up. Let me describe a solidified heart to you today. And some of you in this room may have a heart that's so hard, so solidified, that the word of God cannot penetrate your heart. This is the hearer who sees the word as somehow untrue. He believes the word is made up of fantasy and fairy tale. He believes it's not really for him or for anyone else. He is a doubter and a skeptic. Often someone who has a hard heart like this is arrogant and feels that they know it all themselves. And to respond to the word is an inconvenience to them. And the word may actually provoke hostility in their hearts. I was reading Matt Chandler's testimony not long ago. Matt Chandler is, is, a, is a strong, strong preacher at the Village Church here in the area. He said before he came to Christ, he was attending church with his friends because he was wanting to know, is this stuff real? Is this stuff really true about God? And so as he went to church with his friends, he always had his friends because he was too insecure to go by himself, he said. So he brought his friends with him. And he'd hear the message preached, and then he and his friends would go out and eat together, and they would make fun of the preacher. And he said, I know now looking back that what was happening was I surrounded myself with skeptics and doubters, and they were trampling underfoot the word that was attempted to be placed in my heart. And so by those I surrounded myself with, I guaranteed that literally Satan would come and snatch up the seeds like the bird of the air comes and snatches the seed off the word. I think that's great insight. When we hear the word of God, we do not need to place ourselves in a position where it's trampled underfoot by others because what we do is we begin to listen to others more than we listen to God and then our hearts are not ready for the seed to actually penetrate the soil. The solidified heart is the heart of someone that has to come to Christ because he hasn't been convinced or is willing to even listen that Christ is the answer. Then there's the superficial heart. In verse 13, Jesus says it has no firm root. They believe and then they fall away. And the interesting thing about this heart is that it's initially delighted to hear it. This is kind of a dangerous kind of heart. This is a heart that, that hears the word of forgiveness or they hear the word of rescue from hell and they're immediately excited that they can be free of fear of death. They can be free of, of having that condemnation of sin or whatever else in their life. They have hope and promise in their heart, but they never are willing to 
think through the deeper response of allowing the word to penetrate their heart. There's a point of contact between seed and soil, but only a small point of contact, no depth. So often people like this may make a public decision. They may walk an aisle. They may pray a prayer, but they're never serious about change. And the reality is churches in the Bible Belt are filled with people that have been encouraged to make decisions, but, but their heart is just not ready, not yet. When people like this hear the word of God being preached, they often think like this. They often think, well, that's a great word for my wife. That's a great word for that guy over there. They somehow deflect God's word when it comes to their own heart and their own life. Have you ever known anyone that said that? Man, that was a message. I wish so-and-so had heard it. I'm going to get a tape for them, and they mail the tape to them so that they can hear it. They give them a link so they can hear it. They never say, hey, that's for me. I need to let that truth penetrate my heart so that I can be changed. This is what I call cultural Christianity. They don't let the seed to go into the heart. And the moment affliction begins to happen, the moment someone or something pushes back, they are checking out. I don't know if you've been reading much about Christianity today in an increasingly hostile country like America, but I guess you can tell that more and more people are hostile towards Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, because in many cases they're angry because we say Christ is the only way. And we repudiate the claim that all roads lead to God, because all roads don't lead to God. Christ leads to God. So we preach that, but we're often falling into disfavor with people that don't agree with that. And as cultural bias against Christianity increases, many Christians begin to back away. When Christians who hold to the truth of God's Word and embrace God's Word, embrace it publicly, then those cultural Christians begin to back away because it's hard. Pushback is happening from culture. And they don't want to be fully identified with Christ. Now, they may want to know, oh, I've had my sins forgiven. Or they may want to know, oh, when I die, I, I think I'm going to go to heaven. But, but they, they're not all in with Christ. Cultural Christianity is the scourge of the church. That's the superficial heart. Jesus says, no fruit will last. Then there's a stubborn heart. Scenario number three in verse 14 says, this is the seed planted in the soil that's choked with worries and riches and the cares of this world and it brings no fruit. This is what I call the stubborn heart because it's about the stubborn, resistant, stiff-necked person, the person who finds out what God says about his or her life and simply says, no, no thanks, no way. Am I gonna believe that? Am I gonna do that? The key line in this one is, in this verse, the key line is they go on their way. And they trade the possibility of intimacy with God for something that's not worth their time, their energy, or their lives. There's a song that recently has been out called The King of the World. Natalie Grant sings it. It's a haunting song because it convicts us of how we try to kind of form our own convictions, our own way of living instead of God's. The song says this, I tried to fit you in the walls inside my mind. I try to keep you safely in between the lines. I try to put you in the box that I've designed. I try to pull you down so we are eye to eye. When did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? I try to take life back right out of the hands of the king of the world. How can I make you so small when you're the one who holds it all 
when did I forget that you've always been the king of the world? Sometimes we hear the word of God and we say, hmm, I want some of what he offers, but I'm not willing to give him control. Have you ever watched people reject the word regarding some aspect of their life and then watch the whole of their life get messed up and just get wrecked? In this passage, three things are emphasized, worries, riches, and pleasure. When worries began to creep into our lives and the lack of control that we like to have is missing because if Christ calls us to this, we're not in control anymore, that begins to choke out our willingness to follow Christ. Or riches, the idea of riches there are material things, covetousness, selfishness, giving, Generosity is not part of our lives, and so we want to hoard all that. When God begins to work in our lives, we're not willing to do it. Or pleasure. The pleasure refers to any kind of pleasure, hedonism in general, but sexual pleasure, sexual identity, all those things are wrapped up into this. And when we're not willing to let the Word direct our lives or our affections, then what happens is it grows up, the weeds grow up and strangle and choke out the fruit. There are several prominent teachers and leaders today that have embraced homosexuality and have gone against what the Scripture says. They've embraced the same-sex identity movement, and they've begun to say gender identity and gender, uh, same-sex gender attraction is not a sin. It's not contrary to God's Word. And I've watched their lives and their ministry begin to unravel, fall apart, because they've not embraced the whole of it. These are the kind of hearers Jesus speaks of here with a stubborn heart that says, I'm going to do what... I want to do. Now let me pause for a moment and say these three reasons that Jesus gives us are reasons why the word doesn't work in your life. Why you rise and then fall with an inconsistency spiritually. Why you're frustrated with your level of spiritual growth. It also explains why we sometimes share the gospel and why sometimes they may respond but we don't hear from them ever again. It's not our responsibility to discern where the seed falls. We sow it everywhere but it is the responsibility of the hearer to listen well. There's no problem with the word. There's no problem with the gospel. The problem is with the heart, the heart. Now, when I come to this place in the message near the end here, I'm really glad that I can say this next one is good news. Would you like some good news this morning? I always like good news at the end. As a matter of fact, I love how Jesus tells parables where the bad news is at the front and the good news is at the back. And at the end of this parable, Jesus says, but let me show you what it's supposed to work like. And he says something about what I call the serious heart. Look in verse 15. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Here's the good news. This is receptive soil. These people are not playing games. They're not rationalizing. They're not making excuses. They're not putting it off. They're saying, that seed of the Word of God in my heart, I want it to bear fruit. And this soil, with a good listener who desires to hold fast to God's Word, who wants it to change them, will bear fruit 160 or 30-fold, and all those are really good numbers. Really good numbers. Can you imagine for a moment if you allowed your heart to be so serious about God's Word that just one seed from God's Word would go in your life 
and multiply itself 100 times, that's a pretty good return on listening well. Wow. Think about that the next time you hear God's word. If I position my heart well, if I allow it to be planted deep into the soil of my heart, I can see fruit 100, 60 or 30 fold. Now this is not a prosperity passage. This is not about you being rich. It's about you being rich in spiritual fruit. It's about you being like Christ. A number of years ago, and I've told this story a number of times, but it's been a life impacting moment for me from the age of 12 onward. My dad was a really shrewd man and I was bugging him, I was pestering him about getting a, a minibike. It was legal to drive a minibike at the age of 12 in the Oklahoma town I lived in, and so I wanted a minibike really bad. He told me, because we had 10 acres outside of town that we didn't live on, but we had, we owned, he said, you can go out and you can cultivate anything you want on that land, and you can open up a fruit stand, or you can plant pecan trees, or fruit trees, and whatever you sell, you can buy a minibike with. And I thought, that's a really great idea. I didn't know anything about agriculture or farming, and neither did he, and so I thought, well, I'll plant pecan trees because I love pecans. I was pretty bright for a 12-year-old. I planted 100 pecan trees on that 10 acres, spaced out appropriately, gone down to the library. For those of you that don't know what a library is, it's where you got information before the internet. <laughs> I looked it up in a book, and I found out how you should space them out and so forth. So I did that, and I planted them. And that summer, I stayed up most nights because it was a drought summer, and I would stay out there with a water hose watering those places where I planted those pecan trees almost every night, almost all summer long. Well, I was kind of disappointed that by the time I turned 13 and could legally ride that mini bike, those pecan trees were this tall. <laughs> and they could not hold a pecan. In fact, not until I was 20 years old did the first pecan actually grow on that tree. At that point, I was well past the size of a mini bike, right? <laughs> I was 6'4", 230 pounds at that point. A mini bike would have done me no good at all. I think my dad knew exactly how long those trees were going to take to grow. <laughs> and I just didn't know any better. Well, time passed and we sold the land. Years ago, I went back because I wondered what happened to those pecan trees. And when I went back a number of years ago now, I was astounded because those 100 trees were about 60 to 80 feet tall each. Wow. As I got out of my truck and walked on that property, there were literally thousands and thousands and many thousands of pecans on the ground. The family that bought the land had been selling pecans for years. They probably made a fortune. I didn't see a penny of it. <laughs> but the irrefutable fact is, if you plant something in good soil and water it, it's gonna bear fruit. Some hundredfold, 60-fold, or 30-fold. It happens. It happens not only because it's natural, but because our Creator designed it to be like that. He designed the seed to interact well with the soil and the nutrients with the soil, the water, the sun, all make for growth. Now, he designed the human heart to respond that way to the Word. The seed is the Word of God. Your heart will not grow without seed. Your fruit will not grow without seed, and it will not grow unless you listen and hear well. And that's on you. Then there's the principle. I close by reading verses 16 to 21. 
And I want you to notice how Jesus wraps this all up with another parable. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care how you listen. Notice that phrase. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Listen, there will be a time when you're not able to hear the word as well as you once did. Listen now. And his mothers and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. You want to talk about spiritual fruit? Intimacy with God, hear the word of God and do it. You know, as I studied for this message this week, some things happened to me in the study of this that really kind of bothered me. And one of those things that happened to me is I looked at how we respond once the word of God is planted in our lives. And the truth is we close our books, we shut up our phones, we rush up, we rush out and we don't take time to meditate to think through to ponder to allow the heart to be plowed up just a little bit so this phenomena called spiritual growth can happen with the seed that's been planted in our hearts we take great pains in our church to plant the word of God well because we love it do you take great pains to make sure it's received well. And if you don't now, I hope you will in the future. The problem can be solved by the way you hear. You can solve it, but it begins here. Would you bow your head for just a moment? I'll ask our prayer team to come forward. And as they come forward, they're going to be standing here to pray with you at the end of the service. In just a moment, I'll pray and we'll dismiss. But as some leave to go about their day, others will walk forward and say, I really want my heart to be right. I really want to know that I've received the word in a good heart and an honest heart. I'm being real about who I am, being real about what I need. And I'm going to ask these prayer team members to come stand right now, stand at the front. Face the congregation. And I urge you to come today. Don't let today be a day where you rush off. Take an extra 30 second minute or five and say, what will I do with this today? What will I do? This is so important. Jesus made it such a big deal. Let's, let's let it make a big deal in our lives. Now, before I dismiss us, I want to encourage you to come tonight to our night of prayer and worship. I believe we just need to meet with God tonight. I encourage you to come. I have a word for you. I have a word I want to share with you, a brief one. And we're going to join together in prayer and worship tonight. Might surprise you what God says to you. Let's stand together. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for the amazing parable we've been given, I ask you today that you would allow us 
So let our hearts be stirred and moved and cultivated and plowed up so that your word, the seed of your word, can go into our hearts and change us from the inside out. We need that so badly. And Lord, today I ask for that. Father, I pray that not one person will leave today without the hope that they too can be changed by your word. So Father, whatever it takes for us to get our hearts ready, we want that. And today, we want to be good hearers, good listeners. Be bear fruit 160 and 30 fold. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.